You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be examining this concept of what it means to be made for more. And if you search your Bible, you'll find out that there is actually a whole book in the Bible that tells you what you were not made for. And we're going to study that here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's the question we want to answer. What on earth was I made for? Now, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written by a guy named Solomon, and it's like you're reading his journal on his worst days. He looks a little depressed. As a matter of fact, as you're reading this, you might want to say, should this guy really be writing the Bible? I'm not sure he's emotionally stable enough to be writing the Bible. Now, what he's giving you is an honest commentary on what he is finding as he does experiments looking to answer this question. What on earth was made for? He can't find it. He's frustrated. He's dissatisfied. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we see a summary of all that he wants to tell us. Let's read it together. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. He has made everything. That's the first thing I want to tell you this morning. I am made with intentionality. I am made. Do you see it? You are made. God has made everything. Not only that, he says he has made everything beautiful. Do you know what that means about you? I know we've been talking about corporately what the church was made for. I'm talking right to you. Draw a circle around yourself. Do you see what that verse says? He has made everything beautiful. Do you know what that means? You are beautiful. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I am beautiful. Do that. Now, don't do that out there in public. That's just something we do here in church as we believe the Bible and apply it to our lives, okay? Say, I am beautiful. No, seriously, you are beautiful. Do you know that some of the things that you call ugly, God calls beautiful in his time? The way that he's made you. Now, I know that some of you are still carrying scars from eighth grade biology. Because you heard your eighth grade biology teacher tell you that once upon a time there was just an amoeba in this primordial soup and somehow miraculously it turned into two amoebas and, and they got married and had babies and then they, they had more amoebas and the amoebas turned into a worm and then the worm turned into a snake and the snake turned into a frog and it jumped out of the water and the frog turned into a dog and the dog turned into an ape and the ape turned into you. And it was all just this random combination of chance and time over billions of years. You are just a cosmic accident. That's what some of you have been told since eighth grade. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you are made. He made everything beautiful. You are not a cosmic accident. You are caused by a creator. There was a designer that with intentionality made a decision to create you. You are caused. 
It's one of the laws of the universe. Every effect has a cause. And if you have been affected, there's obviously a cause. We call that God. And we believe that God actually wrote a book to tell us about creation. And you are caused. You are not just some random accident. Not only are you caused by a creator, you are shaped with significance. You have the image of God stamped upon you. That means that you have intrinsic value and worth. And every life does. Every small life, every big life, every young life, every old life. Every color of life, human life, has intrinsic value and worth. And because we are caused by a creator and shaped with significance, we understand there is a purpose for my existence. I was not just made, I was made for something. And the things that you were made for, God considers beautiful Now, no matter what kind of disability you have or how kind of crazy hair you have or what kind of of myopic nearsightedness or farsightedness or stigmatism or, or you're too short or you're too small or whatever, everything about you was designed with significance. God has a purpose for it. He has made you for something. If you're new to the Bible, you're new to the whole concept of God, new to religion, new to church, do you know it's the very first step toward a relationship to God is to admit that I am not self-existent. I exist for a cause of a creator. I am shaped with significance. And then thirdly, I am placed for a purpose. Not only do you not exist accidentally, the place you exist is not an accident. The time that you exist is not an accident. It's not an accident that you live in this time period. Yesterday I was surfing through some channels and and this movie popped on. It was was Gladiator. You know, Russell Crowe, Gladiator. When when was that set? I don't know, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, I don't know. But it was this gladiator area. And my first thought, I've never even watched that movie, but I just saw a clip of it. I'm like, ooh, thank God that I did not live during the gladiator time period. I am a small man. (laughs) Russell Crowe would have taken my head off. I just surrender right there. I got no chance. Boom, forfeit, I'm done, all right? But I am grateful to live in an area where small people can thrive, all right? How many of you are grateful that you live in this era, all right? Some of you bigger people are like, I think I would have done quite well. I would have done better back then, all right? Well, here's the thing. You didn't get to choose. God placed you in a period of time on purpose. Not only did you not to get, get uh, not only did you, not choose the period of time, you didn't get to choose your geographical place where you showed up, okay? You showed up somehow in this time, in this place. And on mornings in February in Michiana, when you open the door and you look outside, you think, why God? 
did you place me in Michiana in February? Am I the only one that's ever had that thought? How many of you have had that thought in the last hour, actually? Yeah, as you were scraping off your car, Andrew and I have to have counseling sessions. We get together, look each other in the eyes like, why did God put us here? And then we find the answer. We open God's word and we find the answer in Acts chapter 17. Because the Bible very clearly tells us, corrects our thinking and says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. One man. Who was the one man? Adam. Remember that first page of the Bible? Remember that guy? He didn't get to choose when he, he showed up. He just showed up first. He wasn't any better. He just, God had a purpose. He showed up. And then from that guy, here we all are. On all of the places, the face of the earth. And then it says, God, having determined allotted periods. Do you see the intentionality in God's choice? Determined, allotted periods, time. You are here in the right time and you are here in the right place and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It is not an accident that you are here in this geographical region, in this place, at this time. Because, do you know what he wants to use you to do? You have a purpose. You see, you have to understand that they should seek God. That's why you're here. To seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. You know what that means? No matter how far away God feels to you, He's actually not that far away. In this time and in this place, seek Him and you will find Him. He is as available and as accessible today, right here, right now, as He has ever been. You say, I just wish I could have lived when Jesus walked the earth. It wouldn't have done you any good. People walked all around Jesus, had conversations with Jesus, and still didn't seek Jesus, didn't love him. And yet, through his spirit, he's made himself accessible to you here today. There just happens to be a church that preaches God's word and was placed here, and God put people here to get the word to you, and you can be discipled and find God, each one of you. He's not that far away. You were made with intentionality. You were placed with a purpose. You are shaped with significance. You are caused by a creator. Here's the second thing. I am surrounded by vanity. I am surrounded by vanity. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to flip back one page, find the first verse of the book of Ecclesiastes. You got it? He tells us who's writing it. It says in verse 1, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. He gives us his title. He doesn't tell us his name, but he gives us his title. But we know who that is. The son of David, the king of Jerusalem. That was obviously King Solomon. Now, King Solomon wrote this book when he was having a bad day. And so notice verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. And in case you didn't catch it the first four times he uses the word, he uses it one more time. All is vanity. I'm like, really? Are you, are you emotionally stable enough to really be writing the Bible at this point? Maybe you should maybe go get some counseling and 
and, and get a right perspective before you write anymore. Now, you have to understand the book. He's writing as, as a commentary on everything that he's finding. And he's not finding anything great. He's not finding anything worth living for. Now, in your Bible, um, I'm using the ESV's translation. It uses the word vanity. Some of you have a different word, a different translation. How many of you have the word meaningless, meaningless in your translation, right? So it's actually a hard word to translate out of the Hebrew. Um, and we kind of lose the nuance of it. And in my study this week, I, I learned a lot about this word. The actual um, Hebrew word that's used there is the word havel. Now, the word actually means smoke or vapor, or fog, or haze. It's the idea that it's hard to grasp. It's hard to get your grip around this. And it, it, looks, it looks real, but it's like, it's, it's like I, it always leaves you feeling like I can't quite grip my, I can't quite get my hands around this. Do you know what he's saying? And by the way, he uses the word vanity, meaningless. The word havel is used 40 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Over and over and over. He used it five times in that one verse. He's saying, everything I've tried, everything I've experienced is leaving me wanting more. I, I, I want more definition. I want more clarity. I want more control. Life just seems to never go the way I want it to go. I, I want more satisfaction. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that life has no meaning. He's saying that the meaning to life is really unclear. You can't quite get your hands around it. And he says everything that he's experienced is havel. It's like a vapor. It's like a smoke. Now skip down here to verse 14 in chapter 1. He gives us another commentary. He uses that word again. But notice what he says in verse 14. He says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. Do you see the phrase under the sun? That's used 30 times in this book. Everything under the sun, he says, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. Again, he uses the word wind. It's, it's like you can't quite grasp it. You can't get your hands around this thing. It's there. I know it's real. But I, I just wish I had more control. I wish I had more satisfaction. What is he saying? He's saying this. I am surrounded by vanity. Everything under the sun is broken. There's not a relationship. There's not an amount of money. There's not an amount of entertainment. There's not an amount of achievement. There's not a net worth you can achieve. There's not a, an amount of education that would ever cause you to step back and say, that's it. That's what I was made for. Everything leaves you thinking, I was made for more than this. There's got to be something more. And it's because everything under the sun is broken Nothing under the sun will satisfy. It leaves me wanting more. And so we have this sense that there's got to be more out there. Now think about it. What if I could transform you somehow and give you everything anybody could ever want? 
What if I could transform you? I'll just talk to the guys for a minute. What if I could transform you into the best looking guy on the planet? I mean, that would be an upgrade for most of you, right? And uh, it's like, I'm just, just an incredibly good looking guy. And what if I gave you athletic ability? What if I gave you the ability to throw touchdown passes and, and win every game and championships? And, and what if you, because of that, you, you made an incredible amount of money. You had more money than you could ever spend in a lifetime. And then let's top it off. Let's say you married a supermodel, okay? Now, what if I could transform you into that guy? Do you think you'd be happy? Like, well, it couldn't hurt. Can we try that? Do we have a machine I could step into? Some of you wives are like, yeah, put him in there. That'd be, that'd be an upgrade. Now, now, listen, what I'm describing to you has already happened. Of course, I'm speaking of Tom Brady. Um, now, now so at, I put this up at the risk of some of you screeching and running out of church right now. I realize that. Just hang on. Tom Brady did an interview in 2005 with 60 Minutes after he'd won his third Super Bowl. Okay. And this is what he said. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I reached my goal, my dream, my life, and I think, God, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all crapped up to be. What else is there for me? Good question. And the reporter asked him, so what is it? He said, I wish I knew. And here we are, three Super Bowls later, speaking presumptuously, and we still find out there is nothing under the sun that can satisfy even the one who has the most stuff. And that's exactly what the theologian Tom Brady has told us is true. It is in total alignment with what we are reading here in the book of Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. Everything under the sun is broken. Nothing under the sun will satisfy. But here's the good news. There's something beyond the sun that's available, Tom. Tom, you're right. You can't just look at the stuff under the sun. You've got to look beyond the sun. You're surrounded by vanity. But here's the good news. I am made for eternity. Go back over here to chapter 3, verse 11, the original verse that we read. Do you see what it says? He's made everything beautiful in its time. You see, you and I are captured by space and time. Not everything we see is beautiful in our time. You, some of you are reading that verse. It's like really hard to call cancer beautiful. It's really hard to call bankruptcy beautiful. It's really hard to call divorce beautiful. You're thinking in time and space. God has made everything beautiful in his time and his time is eternity. You have to look with eternal eyes. And he goes on to say, yet he, ha he has put eternity into man's heart. No matter what else you try to shove into your heart, it won't satisfy. It is an eternal vacuum that can only be filled by an eternal God. 
Someone who exists outside of our time in our space. In the year 2000, the Olympics were held in Sydney, Australia. And it was the first Olympics of the new millennia. And so, of course, they did a huge grand opening celebration with fireworks there right alongside the river at the Sydney Opera House. And one of the things that they did at the climax of the grand opening ceremonies is they illuminated a word above the harbor bridge there. The word simply said, eternity, in a beautiful script. Not many people outside of Sydney really grasp the weight of why they chose the word eternity. Because they didn't know the story that I'm about to tell you. Back in 1932, the word eternity began to mysteriously appear all over Sydney. Someone was taking chalk and writing this word eternity in that script all over the streets, all over the buildings. Someone even found that someone had written the word eternity up inside the bell in one of the government buildings. And for 20 years, nobody knew what was going on. And yet, it kind of inspired the people. It be, they began to think about their existence and do we exist for something more than this? And so it, it wasn't something that, that people were upset about. They kind of liked the fact that eternity was being written all over the place. Until finally, 20 years later, they found the culprit. The graffiti artist was a, name, a man named Arthur Stace. Arthur was a, a military veteran. He'd fallen on hard times. He was addicted to alcohol. He had resorted to petty theft. He was a, he was a career criminal. And yet one day, Arthur stepped into a church where the gospel was being preached by a faithful preacher. And the preacher was preaching on Isaiah 57, 15, which identifies God as the high and exalted one, the one who inhabits eternity. And the preacher kept bringing to their minds the significance of the word eternity. Eternity, eternity, he said. I wish I could shout that word to everyone on the streets of Sydney. Eternity, you have to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? That question captivated Arthur to the point that he abandoned all of his pursuits for significance and surrendered to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Looking back on that event, Arthur said this in an interview later. He says, eternity was ringing through my brain and suddenly I began to cry and I felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. I had a piece of chalk in my pocket and outside the meeting I bent down right there and I wrote it. The funny thing is that before I wrote it, I could hardly write my own name. I had no schooling. I couldn't have spelled eternity if you gave me a hundred bucks. But it came out. And it came out smoothly. And in beautiful copper, copper plate script. I couldn't understand it. And I still can't. But he began to write that word everywhere. He wanted people to think about eternity. Because he knew what Solomon knew, and what Tom Brady hasn't yet found, that you were made for more than the momentary. 
You were made for something beyond the sun. Arthur Stace died at the age of 83 in 1967. His tombstone simply reads, Mr. Eternity. Rewarded and rejoicing in the presence of his Lord. Arthur made it to eternity safe in the presence of God. Are you ready for eternity? Realize this. You will exist forever either safe, rewarded, and rejoicing in the presence of God or you will exist in eternity outside of the presence of God in a place of eternal conscious torment. Jesus loved you so much. He stepped out of eternity and He came from heaven to live under the sun where you live. He lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died on the cross. He made a payment to secure your eternal security if you will repent of sin and place your faith in Him. You were made to connect with Jesus. In Revelation chapter 21, Jesus said this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Because Jesus has already paid the price. Are you thirsty? Does, does this world leave you thirsty because you've drunk from everything the world offers and it still never quenches your thirst? Jesus says, come to me. I will give you from the spring of the water of life, eternal life, if you'll trust me, if you'll turn your back on your sin, if you'll follow me, if you'll abandon every effort to satisfy your heart with things under the sun. Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Don't check out on me. Are you ready for eternity? Do you think about eternity? Are you dissatisfied with the stuff under the sun? Jesus is ready to quench your thirst. Jesus is ready to satisfy the hunger of your soul. If you come to Him and abandon your futile effort to find significance and satisfaction in anything under the sun, in your heart right now, in a fresh way, why don't you abandon yourself to Him? Surrender. Commit your life to Him. If you've never done that in a one-time, once-for-all decision, I want you to turn from your sin. Find that peace that Arthur found. At the end of the service, our pastors will be here. They would love to hear that today you've surrendered your heart to Him. We'd love to pray with you and schedule a time you could even be baptized to go on record 
as one who's abandoned their heart to the Lord. I'm going to pray for you and the team's going to help us to continue to contemplate what it means to abandon ourselves to an eternal God. Father, thank you for meeting us under the sun. You didn't have to come here. You didn't have to fix what's broken. Lord, we, we acknowledge that it's not only the stuff around us that's broken. We're broken. We don't think right. We don't feel right. We don't act right. It's because we've turned our back on you. And we've sought to find satisfaction in so many things that can never satisfy. God, turn us from that today. We pray in Jesus' name.